0: Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the official podcast channel of the International Parkinson's and Movement Disorder Society. I'm Dr. Shweta Prasad from the National Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences, Bangalore, India, and I, along with my colleagues Dr. Kirby and Dr. Deluca, I'm the co-chair of the MDS Peer Reviewing Education and Mentoring Program. Today, in continuation of our special series on the peer review process, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Christian Klein. Professor Klein is the director of the Institute of Neurogenetics at Lübeck, Germany, and currently serves as the deputy editor of the Movement Disorders Journal. She has over 40,000 citations and more than 500 publications. So hello, Professor Klein, and welcome to the MDS podcast.
1: Hello and good afternoon, Dr. Prasad. It's a great pleasure to be here today. I would like to thank you very much for the invitation, and I look forward to our discussion. So today's podcast aims
0: to discuss the approach to a review article, which is perhaps a rather intimidating assignment for a young reviewer. One of the core requirements of accepting a review assignment is a certain baseline level of awareness of a specific topic. Given that review articles are intended to be thorough and detailed, young reviewers often lack the confidence to take up such an assignment. So how important is pre-existent knowledge when it comes to critiquing a review article?
1: Yes, thank you for this important question. So I think, first of all, more generally speaking, I think you should only accept such an assignment when you have written a review article yourself. A review article is fundamentally different from other types of articles, such as original articles or even viewpoints. And therefore, I think it is good to have the the own experience, no matter what the topic is, but to have put something together as a review. I think that is an important experience that you actually have to have. Otherwise, I think it's not only very helpful, but probably a prerequisite really should be that you have a relatively good knowledge of the topic. Of course, you don't have to know everything in detail, but if, for example, you are lacking a certain part of what's important for the review, then maybe you won't be able to judge it properly. However, I think there's one important other remark that I would like to make, and that is, of course, nobody knows everything. And often review articles are not written by a single person, but, Several people really gathering their expertise. So, for example, let's say it's a review article on neurophysiology and genetic forms of Parkinsonism. You, for example, are an electrophysiologist. You feel very confident on one part of the review, but not so much on the genetic part, perhaps. Then you can just state that in your message to the editor and can say, I don't feel confident in this part. It would be good if another reviewer could take that on, but I focused on this part. So, that's perfectly fine. How do you actually judge the
0: quality of the structure of a review article, whether the figures or the tables are actually adequate or not?
1: Right. So again, I would probably like to take one step back. I think the most important thing when reviewing a review article is understanding the methods. I think this is extremely important so that you know, how was this data put together? Is it a narrative review? To put a bit bluntly, you know, did somebody really just write down what he or she thinks where the field stands and the papers that he or she contributed, or uh, maybe the one or two other papers that they recently read, that's of course something that you will have to check whether that's the way it was done or whether there was at least some sort of a systematic review and approach to it. Which doesn't mean that every review or every good review has to be either meta-analysis, which is something different anyway, or a systematic review in the sense that the entire literature of the world in all languages was covered, which is typically not possible. But some approach that you can follow, and and that I think then will answer your question. But if they took this approach, then the tables and the figures should follow that naturally. And at the same time, what I find important is obviously we're seeing lots of reviews. And as we know, a lot of journals, they love reviews because that helps the impact factor. And so we may see more reviews than we actually need. And therefore, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to really come up with something new and novel. So therefore, it would also be good if you are also looking at least in the last year or two, what else has been published in that field? And is it really in advance over what has you know just been published in maybe another journal? So I think this is also important. Or are things actually quite repetitive, which obviously should not be the the case? At the same time, to be fair, a review article cannot reinvent the wheel. So there will always be some uh, amount of duplication, but there should be a good balance.
0: As you mentioned, there are numerous variants of review articles. You have the meta-analysis, you have the systematic review, you have the narrative review. Now, especially for the first two, how deep should a reviewer go to actually verify if everything has been accounted for by the authors of the article? Right.
1: Very, very important question. Uh, So first of all, a review can be a lot of work to put together. It typically is actually. And unless it's a very small, just emerging field, then it's easier. But sometimes it can take years to really put this together carefully and depending on the methods. For example, the MDS gene review series that we are working on, on phenotype-genotype correlations in uh, movement disorders, that typically takes up to two years to complete such a review. Because it's just so much work, there's so much literature and it all has to be covered carefully. Of course, it cannot be asked from the reviewer to do exactly this work again. Obviously, that's not the case. But what I typically do is, and this tends to be quite a good guide and gives you a feel for the quality of the review, I'll cross-reference some numbers. And then I dig a little bit deeper, but I'm not redoing the review, obviously, which I don't think should be done. So you have to trust to some extent the authors of the review. Uh, But I would definitely cross-check a few things, and that, that typically is very informative already. There's another thing perhaps in this context, which is the knowledge... As we discussed, it's sometimes difficult to really cover a topic completely because there are so tend to be more and more methods involved. There's more interdisciplinary research in almost any area. And therefore, it can sometimes be difficult, although the authors make a very good attempt. For example, I just saw a review article that put together all of the variants that were found for a specific familial disease, a genetic disorder. And so they listed very beautifully all of the different cases that have been published in literature, but without any critical review, actually. And I think this should be part of the review. And because they didn't have a background in genetics, they put together all of the variants of unknown significance, some intronic changes, some real truncating material. Everything was in the same bin, whereas it should have been differentiated. But I'm not blaming them because they probably really relied on what they found in the literature. But a review should have this extra level that you really go a little bit beyond. And if you need this specific area of expertise, then it's good to invite another co-author that can look at, for example, in this case, it would have been good to have somebody who could have judged on the pathogenicity of these variants because then half of the cases would have gone. And so these are the things where I typically take a look. Does this make sense? Does it have all the expertise that's needed? Do you at any time feel that it is fair, or what
0: was the circumstance wherein you could possibly ask somebody who's written a narrative review
1: to change it to a systematic review? Honestly speaking, yes, because I've done that in the past. So I think I do. Yes, I think think that's fair. Again, review articles can be very different. Let's say they review a certain biological mechanism and maybe there's only uh, six or seven papers around. But still, even then, one would do a comprehensive review of the literature before writing this, right? So these days, it's so easy to access the literature, at least in the English language. So I think that is something you should really demand. Unless it's a viewpoint, but but it's different. And then you don't have to cover everything. But for a review article to be balanced and comprehensive, and I think a review should be both balanced and comprehensive, I think you have to be systematic to some extent.
0: And when we're speaking about systematic reviews, how far back prior to submission should the last date of check have been? Because as we discussed, it takes forever to write a review article. And suppose you have collected your data and that data collection has ended, say, 10 months prior to you submitting it. What happens in that interim? Would you expect a reviewer to say, no, no, I want the author to check up everything that has gone in between their last date?
1: again, thank you for this important question. We've been discussing this actually just yesterday among some colleagues of ours. And so again, I think the MDS gene review series is a good example there as it takes typically about two years. And so what we do now, when the authors start working on it, we already tell them you will probably need one more update before you can submit. So please, even if they already have like a little bit of an analysis in between so that they know what they are working on and what they can start writing about, you may need to update. And so make sure that you have your Excel tables or whatever you work with in a in good shape so so that you can then later just before submission adapt and update the numbers and for us as a rule of thumb there's no firm rule obviously but we say it's six months I probably would say okay until a year perhaps but otherwise I think it's getting a little outdated somewhere between six months and a year would be my personal feel and deadline yeah.
0: Finally how does one actually ascertain the real importance and novelty of a submitted review article I mean everything may be well written etc but What makes it really important?
1: Yeah, again, a very good question. And uh, I think no really easy answer to this. I think what can be very important is when the topic is novel and people don't really know about it yet or something that has emerged, but nobody really has put it together. So what should a review do? So I think it should do two things. Uh, First of all, it should be interesting. So that's number one. Second of all, it should uh, guide two groups of people, readers that are not familiar with the topic so that they can have a good read. And they now, after reading the review, they have at least basic understanding of the topic. At the same time, I think it should be interesting, ideally also to people working in the field so that even they get something new out of it. That's when it comes to the supplementary tables and the interesting materials that they hopefully have worked on. That's also something I judge. Is it really interesting to these two types of audiences, which I think almost any review should tailor to? And so first of all, if somebody really finds some new topic or sometimes topics are already there, but they need to be made accessible. So that I think is important. I also think it's important when something changes or we are having the first really systematic review that may change the view of the field where we thought we we know already how everything is. But then it turns out, no, it's, it's not the case. People don't respond to this drug or they don't actually have this more often than others. I think it's important also when it deals just with an important topic. So, for example, the Lancet, I think every five years they publish a a review article on Parkinson's disease. And I think that's in in itself a a good idea because it's an incredibly important and growing disease. And therefore, I think even that is a good argument to write a review just to keep people updated on this very important disease. I think those are probably the things that I find. But still, I'm not against good reviews, reviewing something that has already been reviewed. (laughs) So I think there's a room for those as well. With that, uh, we end this
0: episode of our special podcast series. Thank you very much, Professor Klein, for sharing all your insights on reviewing a review article. In the next episode of the series, we'll be discussing the role of ethics in the peer reviewing process. Thank you so much.
1: The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals. Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.